Our good Lord, we ask that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, that it would be a light unto our path, that by it we might see Jesus, your son, and that we might be changed by him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing this series going up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, whereby we are looking at different aspects of the cross. It's clear that at the center of the Christian faith is this idea of the cross, but there's often this question of what does it mean? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? What does it mean for us? And last week we saw how it could be very easy to view the cross as the height of weakness and defeat and folly, but we saw that somehow this cross and Jesus upon it is actually the wisdom and the power of God himself to rescue us. And so we're looking now at different aspects of what the cross means. And what I want us to consider today is what I'm going to call the revealing power of the cross. I'm going to start with what is a very bold statement. The single biggest factor of how you and I will live our lives every day is our perception of God. In other words, how we perceive God, how we understand him, who we understand him to be will have the single most powerful impact on how we live our lives day to day. Whether we see him as imaginary and non-existent whether we see him as harsh, whether we see him as indifferent, or whether we see him as abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, how we portray him and see him is going to have the single biggest influence on how we live. Think about it this way. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where all went wrong for humanity, there was an initial question that sent us on a trajectory of death and darkness. And it was simply this, did God really say? Did God really say not to do that? It's a simple question, but underneath this is a distortion and an assumption and a proposition that is meant to take root in human hearts and minds. And it's this subtle idea that God is actually holding back. Did he really say that? Are you sure he can be trusted? Is he really for you? Is his heart one that you would want to follow him with all that you are? And it's a distortion of God's character that catapulted the whole world into this age of darkness and brokenness and sin. And so it would make sense that at the heart of the world finding its healing And restoration would be a restoring of our perception and a clarity on who he really is for us. And my aim this morning is to show how the cross does exactly that. How the cross functions for us as a window of all the other things the cross accomplishes for us. Today we're focusing on what the cross reveals, how it serves as this window giving us a picture into the very inner workings of God into his very heart. And so I want to think about this in three ways. I want to think about how the cross reveals. I want to think about what the cross reveals. And then I want to think about 
how what we see in the cross changes us. So first, how the cross reveals. We've all heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And so we often know that there can be a disconnect between the words that we say and what is going on inside of us. So I can say that I care about you in a very special way that you mean a lot to me. But if, if all of my words are cutting against you, if all of my actions against you are seeking to undermine your well-being, then what I'm portraying is very different than what's going on in my heart. And the similar with God, we can learn a lot about who God is, about his heart, simply by watching what he does. Maybe it is that his actions are going to speak louder even than what he says. Think about the work of of creation. You think about passages like Psalm 19 that say the heavens, the skies proclaim his handiwork. They proclaim his glory. Paul's argument in Romans 1 talking about how what can be known about God is plain. Because his invisible attributes, these things we cannot see, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. What they're saying is that we can know something about God simply by looking at the world that he has made. But we're also limited. We can look outside and discover things about God, but it doesn't tell us the whole story. It leaves big gaps. So true confession, and this might age me a little bit, but growing up, I loved to watch Bob Ross paint. Any Bob Ross fans in here? Please raise your hand. Thank you. There's so much talk these days about meditation and mindfulness. All you need to do is go to YouTube and just watch Bob Ross paint. And you'll just feel the cares and worries of life go away. Now, if all you did was see one Bob Ross painting and by itself, there are things that you could tell about the person who painted it. You could tell that they were intelligent. You could tell they were artistic. You could tell that they were good about what they did, but that's about all you could tell. You could probably tell that they loved nature because the pictures are of nature. There's an appreciation there. But what you wouldn't realize is that those aren't just trees and mountains and clouds, but what you're looking at are actually happy trees and happy clouds and happy mountains. You wouldn't know that the heart behind this painting is one of the most positive people that the world has ever known and one of the most amazing and beautiful hairdos that the world has ever seen and has never been duplicated since. That's the things that we get by by being able to see and hear him reveal himself in different ways. And God works similarly. We can see things about him through the world he has made, but there's so much more about his heart that we're trying to discover. We need more and we're given more. Verse nine, in this, that is the, the sending of Jesus and this cross event, something about God was made manifest. To be made manifest means to be made clear, to be made known. It's like God posting something on social media for everyone to see. There's no privacy settings on this. It's something that he is declaring. He is opening forth for everyone to take notice of. And the action that God takes is this. The actions that speak louder than words is God sends his only son 
into the world that we might live through him. Now, if you've been around the church for any season of time, there is this danger of words like those becoming so familiar that they stop, they stop moving us. They stop being meaningful and they stop causing us to stand in wonder and awe. This past year, I read the book, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and we're not told what exactly happens in the world, whether it's a, a plague or a nuclear fallout or natural disasters, but, but something significant has wrecked the world so that uh, it's darkness, it is gray, food, water, shelter, they're all scarce, and these bands of people are even grouping together for protection even hunting other humans for their own source of food. It, it is a dark picture. But the story is about this father and son and their, their attempts to survive on this road together. And what you see is this bond and this love that is shared between these two. And the goal, get this, the, the goal that is driving this father is the hopes of getting his son out of darkness and into light out of the grips of death and into a place of hope and safety. It's an out of into hope that drives him to some pretty extraordinary links and sacrifices. It's a moving story. I loved it. Now, in light of that, think about what's happening here. Here you have a father who is sending his only son, whom he loves more than anything, out of safety and into danger, out of light, and into darkness, out of hope and peace and comfort, and straight into the sharp teeth of suffering and torture and death. That's, that's a big and bold move. That could tell us just that, that God is a terrible parent, but when we read the rest of the New Testament, what we find is something pretty startling that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all working together in perfect love and perfect unity and perfect purpose, that this is their plan that they have set together, that they are working together, and it's going to cost each of them something significant along the way. And now we begin to see how the cross reveals these actions of God, what he is doing, they are revealing. And which brings us to our second question. That is, what, what does it reveal? What do we see in this event? There's a species of humans that I don't understand, and they are called ultra runners. If you're an ultra runner, raise your hand. Should have known. So, these are people who enjoy long distance races. Uh, they will do not only marathons, but sometimes they will do races of 50 miles, 100 miles, sometimes multi day events of 1,000 miles or longer that can take days. Now, I think it's safe to say that you don't just wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to run to North Carolina today. When you train 
for and finish a race like this. When, when you go through that and finish it, what that says to everybody watching is this is important to me. I've trained, I have suffered, I have reshaped the way I live. It has been intentional. This, whatever this is, something matters to me. It's important enough for me to go through all of that. And the same is true of God. At the basic level, what the sending of Jesus into our world and into our human condition tells us is that there is something very important to God. Something that would move him, that would drive him to endure this pain, this shame, this suffering, this humiliation and defeat, that is an extremely long way to go for nothing. You do not do that unless something that is incredibly important to you is at stake. And so what we're beginning to see is there's something big going on in God's heart that is moving these actions that he's taking. It's not done with indifference. And we're told elsewhere that the cross does reveal many other things. It reveals his wisdom, his power, his justice, his holiness. It reveals the depth of our need and, and, and the, the distorted and terrible nature of sin. But what the scriptures bring to the surface again and again and again when it comes to the cross is that above all those, the cross reveals the love of God. Verse 9, in this, this sending and giving of Jesus, the love of God was made manifest that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So in our culture, we throw around the word love a lot. So I think it's fascinating that we use the exact same word to express how we feel about our favorite cereal as we do to express how one feels about their spouse of 50 years. So that's that's a, a large area of territory for one word to cover, which is why other languages like French, like Greek, have multiple words to try to break it up, to try to communicate it. So even in Greek, you have storge, philea, eros, and the one we have here is agape. Now, agape differs from the others in that it is an intentional pursuit of the good of another at great cost to yourself. So it is a moving towards good to do good to someone with the understanding that it's going to take something from you. John says here in verse 10, this is why we often call it a self-giving love. He says, this is agape. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's the kind of love that God has for us. It is not a response to our love. It is an initiating. It is a giving. It is a pouring forth of himself when we wanted nothing to do with him. But it's not just that we were indifferent. We read that we are also alienated, opposed, hostile. You could use the word enemies. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his 
son. I want to read you a quote by Frederick Buechner, who, who I think draws out some different types of love in a very beautiful way in his sermon, The Magnificent Defeat. He says, the love for equals is a human thing. Friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion. And it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing to love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is love for the enemy, love for the one who does not love you but mocks threatens and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love and it conquers the world. John Stott, pastor last century in London, said if we're looking for a definition of love, we should not look in a dictionary but we should look at cavalry. It was not indifference, but love and the deepest of all loves that the cross of cavalry reveres. And here John tells us the purpose of all of this love. Verse nine, that we might have life. Verse 10, that our deepest problem of sin might somehow be taken away. There's so much behind that word propitiation that we're going to unpack in a couple of weeks. But what I want to say now is somehow in order for our greatest problem to be lifted off of us, what we're going to see is it's going to land on somebody else. And it's going to land on Jesus. And that is a display of the love of God. This is a window into God's very heart. Finally, how does what we see change us? Two things I want to focus on as we close. First, the revealing power of the cross helps us to become a people who love. So if you're looking at the passage that we're unfolding in our sermon, it's like a sandwich. At the very center of it is this description and this presenting forth of what God has done for us in the gift of his own son and how he loved us. That's the heartbeat and the center. When you look outside of that before and after, it is saying this is what that looks like when it is worked out. So consider what comes before. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us agape one another. For agape is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is this. It's the essence of who he is. It's not a hobby. It's not a, it's not him pretending to be something that he's not. And look after verses 11 through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, his 
Love, he abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's a bold statement here that if our lives are not characterized by an agape kind of love, then what that means is that we don't really know the agape love that God has for us. It's a sobering question, but it's also meant to be a directing and guiding question that when we get this, when we see it, when we stand amazed at it, when we feel its weight, we will become a people who love, which is one of the reasons why every week when we show up, we try to say, this is Jesus. This is who God is for you. Second and finally, the revealing power of the cross helps us to be a people who trust. So my desk in my bedroom is situated before a window that looks east and there are trees and every morning I'm able to watch the sunrise. So this morning, what I see is darkness beginning to go away and there's the beginning of some purple that gives way to some orange and red tones that gives way to yellow that gives way to just blue. It's beautiful. It happens every day. The sun comes up. It's there. It doesn't change. It's always shining brightly. It's always giving warmth and energy. Over the past week, week and a half, that's not been my experience every morning. When I wake up is there's just a dim gray that begins to go from a dark to a medium sometimes light gray. I could look at that and say, where is the sun today? What happened to that beautiful, big, glowing light that gives warmth and heat? Where did it go and why is it gone? Because the clouds are covering it and my circumstances, my experience, my view is telling me it's nowhere to be found. It's gone somewhere else. Maybe it's warming another planet, giving life to someone else who deserves it more than we do. Uh, You all know that's not how the world works. Our world is a difficult place to live in. Jesus himself promised us, in this world, you will have many troubles. We will all face hardships. Many of these will stretch us beyond our ability to cope. Some of these will stretch us beyond our ability to believe and hold on to the faith. And there are two roads that we can take. We can either interpret who God is based on our circumstances, or we can interpret our circumstances based on who God is. What I mean by this is when life gets hard, we can say, well, God is obviously not who I thought he was. He's not who I hoped he was. Maybe he is not real. Seems like he's harsh, indifferent, cruel, a bad jokester. That path doesn't lead to life, nor is it a clear picture of who God is. The second road is to interpret our circumstances in light of the cross. What I mean by this is every day we first see who God is clearly revealed at this cross where his son, 
He's giving all that he has, and the father is experiencing everything a father would feel when his son is being humiliated and crucified and killed. And we see this window into his heart. And then we look at our difficulties and we look at our sufferings and we look at our questions and we can still say, I don't know why this is happening. I wish things were different with all of my heart. I don't know what it all means, but here's what I know. I know what it does not mean. It does not mean that God is against me. It does not mean that God is indifferent, that he is weak or that he is cruel because I see who he is clearly on the cross. So when I wake up in the morning, I know every day that sun is shining behind there. No matter what, it'll come out again. But this is what the sun is and this is who God is himself. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. It's only in the cross and not in our everyday circumstances that we can make sense of who God really is and what is going on in the inner workings of his heart for us. Let's help one another keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and on his cross. Let's pray. Our Father, we just ask that you would help us to see. We ask that you would help us to love. And we ask that you would help us to trust. Always. In your name we pray. Amen.